0: Appreciate everybody that's come back out this evening. Tonight, I want to preach a lesson that I've been planning to preach, but kind of like bounced, kind of bounced it all over the place. And that is, as if you grabbed an outline or saw it in the uh, bulletin when I put the sermons at the beginning of the month, you might have noticed it that uh, I had a sermon in there called "Not for Entertainment." And I'll explain why I slightly changed the title in just a little bit. But um, it fit very well with the next quarter's theme in talking about edification. And then I decided I was going to do a lesson kind of related on the point I wanted to talk about and go a little bit different direction, so I bounced it back to this quarter. But needless to say, it's a lesson that I wanted to talk about. It is not really an answer to a question, but it does address a a comment and sort of question that I was asked. Um, And I'll I'll, uh, talk about that uh, here in just a second. But I'm talking about, of course, our singing, just like we finished, uh, as Edward led us in these songs, we just finished singing. And so we're going to look at the biblical command tonight to sing and make melody in your hearts and talk about singing. I'm not going to really talk so much about that since Wes and I debated that and we really talked about that whole idea of making melody in your heart um, just a few months back. But I do want to talk about the idea of our singing. And in particular, as we're talking about it, I want to consider, as I said, sort of a comment and question, is our singing, since it does seem to be the way people feel about it, is our singing just for entertainment? Now you know the obvious answers that I'll give to that, but I want to talk a little bit why. If you notice on your outline, I uh, gave a definition for entertainment. And at first, this lesson was going to be called Not for Entertainment. Then I got to thinking about it and I thought, well, you know, um, our singing is for entertainment, depending on whether or not we look at the proper definition of the term or not. So I decided I'd name it Not Just for Entertainment. Let me talk about why. Entertainment, the archaic definition of entertainment, interestingly enough, is something that is done for maintenance or provision. Now, we don't use the term entertainment generally like that. However, we do use the verb form entertain. For example, if I say, um, will you entertain the idea of so-and-so, what I mean by that is throughout this time period, will you maintain that idea in your mind? We use it in the verb form, we just don't use it in the noun form, entertainment. No, what we generally mean is the modern definition or connotation of the term, and that is that it is something for amusement or diversion, provided especially by performers, for example. It's something that diverts or engages our attention away from whatever it is we normally think about. I'm going to give you an example. Let's say I work hard all week. I stress about my work. I think about my work. I take it home with me, as we commonly say. I end up, you know, it's on my mind most of the 24 hours of the day. Sometimes I even dream about it. And I want something to divert my attention away from that, in short, I want to hold an idea and maintain it, so I do something or I attend something. I go to a musical concert or I play some sports event where my mind is on playing the sport and scoring the points. Something that will stay in my mind at least for a short period of time and divert my attention away from what I'm doing. Now, I realize I'm belaboring the definition, but I really want us to understand The difference between entertainment, as we commonly think of it, is just something I enjoy. And what the term really means. So if we consider the definitions of entertainment, if someone says, Is your music, is church music for entertainment? Um, Yes, it is. As long as you understand what that means. If we consider the archaic definition, and as I belabored it here for a moment, it is supposed to divert our attention. As we were singing these songs a moment ago, I will wake the dawn with praises. I hope you listened to the words. I hope you really put them in your heart and thought about them. I hope it diverted, if you will, your attention away from, you know, football games and how beautiful the weather is today and whether or not you want a barbecue or whatever it might be. I hope you did, and diverted your attention, it engaged you, and you thought about praising God, because that's exactly what it's supposed to do. And yet, in our society, what has happened with everything like church music and anything else, it becomes something that amuses me. Now that is not the idea that God had in mind, and it is not even the original idea of entertainment. When I was growing up, and I know a lot of you come from a denominational background, so you understand exactly what I mean. I looked forward to church... But sadly enough, mostly what I looked forward to was being entertained and really being part of the entertainment. I mean, I sang and performed and all of that, and so I looked forward to all of that. And it was, in many respects, entertainment. I can remember growing up and my grandmother banging away at the piano and me singing and others singing and all of that. And I can remember vividly, right now, all these years later, you know, different places where I was and singing the song, and even certain songs we sang. And really, you know, the rocking ones, and you know, really getting into it and enjoying it. But I really wasn't thinking a lot about the words. I wasn't stopping to consider what was being taught as we sang the songs. As I look back on it, some of those songs have a lot more meaning to me. One that Montel knows that I sing... Every so often is, uh, you know, there was a song that was very popular in the 70s, and uh, it was about seeing a blind man or seeing a lame man and really taking time to notice that individual and the struggle he or she was going through and then thinking about, in the course it's very powerful, there'll be no blind people in heaven, there'll be no lame people in heaven. I sing that now to myself and sometimes to Montel, you know, with a lot more feeling and a lot more meaning than I once did. I think a lot of people today attend church and sit and listen to choirs and special performers and soloists and quartets and what have you. And it is just so much entertainment. And I realize there are a lot of very professional, accomplished musicians out there, and they do a great job. I understand that. But that's not the purpose for our singing. So I really want to talk about that. When you look in the Bible, go over with me if you will. Start with me in Hebrews 13. And I'm not going to turn to every single passage in the New Testament, the 9 or 10, depending on how you reckon them. But I do want to look at a couple of them tonight. So if we look at Hebrews chapter 13, there is a very general teaching that I think covers the ideas of singing and praying and maybe everything we do. But if you notice in Hebrews 13, and drop down with me to verse 15, of course we are speaking of Jesus here. By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. Now notice, we do that through Jesus, and what we are doing is offering a sacrifice. Now we don't lay animals on an altar anymore, but when we attend if we take time out of this beautiful day and we come out here at 4 o'clock and we sing with everything within us and we pray accordingly and we listen to a lesson and all the things we're doing, we are making a sacrifice. I mean, it, it isn't the kind of sacrifice where you have to give your life for the faith, but it is a sacrifice. And yet more than that, it is something you're offering to God. And I think that's the idea here. Like you offer a sacrifice, you give, certainly, But it is much more than the price of whatever you're giving. It's the fact that you are giving something personally to God. So by Him, by Jesus, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips. Now certainly I can do that in prayer. I can do that in preaching. But we all do that in singing. The fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. There's a general purpose in our singing and the New Testament conveys this idea that our singing should be primarily, first, foremost, to the Lord. It is something I'm giving to Him. Now, if we went through the specific passages, if you've got an outline, I listed the nine specific passages in the New Testament that teach us to sing. And of course, if we were teaching about instrumental music, we'd go through the as we did in the debate. You know, we'd go through these and we would show that we are taught to sing. We are taught to make the melody in our hearts. We are not taught to accompany that by an instrument, a mechanical instrument, no other instrument besides our heart. But there's something else here, and I want us to look at that. If you were to look at the accounts in Matthew and Mark, and I won't turn to them tonight, but if you look at the accounts in Matthew 26 and Mark 14, once Jesus had instituted the Lord's Supper, as we call it, that is, he had given that to the disciples he would say, you know, in the kingdom, this is what it's going to mean. As Eddy talked about this morning, the body and the blood is going to represent that, commemorate that, remember that, you know, through the eating. Following that, they sang a hymn. And it just simply tells us that, that when they finished the supper, they sang a hymn. In Acts chapter 16, in verse 25, I'll make reference to that passage again in a moment, but I won't turn right now. Paul and Silas were, quote, singing hymns to God. Again, in Romans chapter 15, and verse 9, one of the two places it quotes from the Psalms. But interestingly enough, quotes from a psalm that does not talk about instruments. But in Romans 15, verse 9, notice when it says, I will sing unto thy name. Now, this will be to the Father. And the idea of singing unto the Father. We just did that in that song, I will wake the dawn with praises, etc., We were singing praise to God the Father. And we were singing through Jesus in doing that. And so if we went back to Psalm 18 and verse 49, it would literally say, Sing praises unto thy name. In 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 15, when we were talking about in John 4, earlier in the year, the balance that there needs to be between the spirit and the truth. Remember that? Uh, uh, True worshipers of God will worship in spirit. We went and showed in other places that he probably means our personal spirit needs to be involved. I need to feel something when I sing these songs. I need to be thinking in my mind. You know, I need to be. it needs to be me personally involved in giving that sacrifice of praise. And there needs to be a balance between that and truth. I need to sing the truth, of course. But there needs to be more than just singing words on a paper that are true. And it needs to mean more to me than just simply going through a psalm book, as some brethren have done and meticulously combing through the song and deciding whether they thought that was truth or that was, you know, you could grant poetic license for that phrase or whatever. I think we all probably have done that to an extent. But there needs to be more than that. It needs to be me personally involved in the singing. I think we understand that. I will sing with the Spirit. I will sing with the understanding also. In Ephesians 5, that passage we debated quite a bit, we've seen... And make melody in our hearts. We speak to ourselves, to one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your hearts, Paul says, to the Lord. And again in Colossians 3, teaching as Ed read for us. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with grace or favor in your hearts to the Lord. I want you to think for a second what those two verses are saying. When I'm singing, whatever I'm singing, if I'm talking about I owe it all to Jesus, and there are plenty of songs that teach that, I owe everything to Jesus. I would not be saved. My sins would not be forgiven. I would not be here. I would not have the blessings I have. I would not enjoy the life I have. And on and on and on in our song, if it were not for Jesus. And I need to think about that. When I sing songs about the cross, I need to think about the fact that If he hadn't done what he did, I wouldn't have anything. I could not count on anything, trust anything, believe that there's a better future or anything else. I need to think about that. And I think that's what these verses are stressing to us. In every psalm, every hymn, every spiritual song you sing, it needs to be to the Lord. Now, understand, it's not to me, primarily. It's not for me, primarily. Now think about the difference. I'm 12 years old, and I'm a brand new member of the Pentecostal church I went to. And my great talent, at least I thought so at the time, my great talent was to sing a song. I'm singing the song, and here's what I'm thinking about. I'm good at this. That's for me. And when people listened to it and got all fired up about it, And maybe it was a really upbeat song and people are, you know, in in our church, they're clapping and they're smiling and they're coming up to you afterwards. That was for them. And that's the way they took it. And they wanted to hear people who moved them. And they wanted to hear people that fired them up. And when I sang a song, I wanted to, quote, get into it so I could feel that same feeling. All of that was for us. And I don't know that I ever one time in those years I was doing that, I don't know that I ever one time thought the most important thing I'm doing here is to sing this song to the Lord and to give this sacrifice to Jesus. But that's what it's saying. And so we have good song leaders here. People comment about our singing here. And it is good singing. I mean, I've been some places when it was bad, you know. But, I mean, really. It's good singing. And if people here are talented and they get into it, and it's, it's a wonderful thing. But we shouldn't get carried away with that. We shouldn't get carried away with, I mean, you want it to be good. Because you don't want to be distracted by it being so bad. And, and that's the truth. It happens. I mean, if you go somewhere and the singing is really, really bad, about the only thing you can keep your mind thinking is, this is really, really bad. You know? You don't want to be distracted, but you don't want to lose sight of the fact that no matter how good it is and how much you like it, it's to the Lord. Give your best of everything you do to the Lord. Sing with grace. What does that mean? With favor in your heart toward the Lord. I'll give you an example of what I think that means. A lot of you have children. And you watch your children perform. It can be some sports event or talent event, whatever it might be. And you feel that good feeling about your child doing a good job. You have favor toward that child. Great favor. You love the child. You appreciate the child. You want the child to do good. And I suspect that most parents feel this way. You want the child to do better than you could ever do. You just love that child, and you have that favor toward that child, we're supposed to have that for Jesus. And when I sing a song and I talk about the things that these songs say, I need to feel that and mean that favor, that good feeling to my Lord. That's what He's saying. So the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, we like them. You know, There are certain songs in the psalm book, I like them. Edward knows, I'll, I'll make comments to him sometimes about some of these songs. That's a rocking song. We've got to sing that, you know. So that's where I lean. You know, I lead toward that. Lend toward that. But it's more than that. It's what's it saying. It, it's what do I feel about my Lord when I'm singing. Let's go on. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 12, there's, if you're still in the book of Hebrews, I want to turn and look at that one right now. This one to me is extremely special. And The older I get, I think it's more special to me all the time. Because you'll notice we're talking about Jesus. Verse 8 quotes from the Psalms and talks about, uh, talks about how inadequate we are, etc. But, verse 9, we see Jesus. And we see what Jesus did, made a little lower than the angels. When you grasp that, as much as we're capable of grasping, and I'm, I don't know that I am capable. But here is God who gives up everything to be made lower than His own creation. I'm not sure I can even fathom that. But we see Jesus doing that. Made a little lower than the angels. For the suffering of death. I don't know about you, but I think about death. The older I get, I think about it. We watch people die. We lose people. It's a horrible thing. Imagine coming to earth. Your sole purpose in coming is a horrible, tragic death. Maybe the worst I guess it is, that the world has ever known or seen. That's what He came for. And we see Him then crowned with glory and honor that He, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man, for every human, it literally says. So here is Jesus dying for us all. Now verse 10 goes on. It became Him. This is what was fitting for Him. For whom are all things and by whom are all things. That's the Creator. It became Him. What was fitting is that He would bring many sons, The reason it's sons is because they're heirs, and they're heirs of the glories of heaven, to make the captain of their salvation perfect, complete, through sufferings. Can you imagine that? Here is the Son of God, and eternally, this is what the Bible is saying. You know, you do something in life, or you achieve something in life. A lot of us make you know some big stride. We're baptized. We get married. We do certain things in life, and we say, now my life is complete. Have you ever thought about the fact that what the Bible is saying is that for the Son of God, He eternally was incomplete until He died for me. Now that's awesome. But that's what it's saying. He was made perfect through the suffering He went through. Now it goes on, verse 11. It says, for both He that sanctifies and they who are sanctified. Now obviously... Jesus is sanctifying and we are sanctified. They're all one now. For which cause he's not ashamed to call them brethren. So here is Jesus looking down here at us, and he's not looking at us like a bunch of slaves. He's not looking at us just like a bunch of people who are so low and all of that kind of thing. We may look at ourselves that way, but he's not ashamed to say, that's my brother, that's my sister. He's not ashamed to call them brethren. It goes on. Saying, verse 12, I will declare, and this would be Jesus speaking, I will declare thy name, you, the Father. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. And then notice this phrase, in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. Now, this is the way I picture it. It may not be right, but this is the way I picture this passage. He's done all of this to make it possible so that I can sit here as an heir of glory, my... Being saved completes his life, makes him complete. And not only that, he sits here with us and sings right along with us to the Father. Sometimes I picture it kind of like this. When my mind wanders, you know, and, and it does. I'm as human as anybody. So we're singing a song. We've sung it forever. I can sing it in my sleep, you know, just as I am. I mean, you know, a song like that. And when I by myself, my, what my mind is wandering Sometimes it helps to kind of picture Jesus sitting down the pew from me. Kind of look at me and say, come on, dude. You know, sing this song. Sing with me. Get in here with me and sing this song. Because just like you were. That's how you came. And because I died for you, you're saved. You can sing this to God. You can talk about coming to God. You know, when you start thinking like that, it's hard for your mind to wonder. You begin to think about the whole purpose of why we sing. Sing. Sing songs. James 5 and verse 13. I'll come to back, back to that in just a second. But these are the verses that teach us to sing, and you see the purpose in our singing is something we do really as a sacrifice, but we do it for God. And so I think these passages certainly convey the purpose of our singing, but then if you notice as we ran through all of this, singing praises and hymns, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, you're still left with What are psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? Now, the words, to be sure, are used interchangeably in the New Testament. And sometimes one word stands for all of them. Sometimes a passage, James 5.13, just simply says, sing songs. Another passage, like Acts 16 and verse 25, says they were singing hymns. So, to be sure, the songs are used interchangeably, and yet there is at least a nuance of difference between them. If we were to go back to ancient times and we were to see how these three terms are used, we would see what maybe the type songs and the kind of thing we're talking about. Now I'll run through it for you. When you're talking about a psalm, most people agree, and if we look back to you know people in the first century even writing about it, most people agree that when you're talking about a psalm, you're really talking about songs like are in the book of Psalms. But that doesn't help you a whole lot because the psalms cover everything, don't they? I mean, you can have psalms that are psalms of praise. That will literally go through and, you know, praise God for this and praise God for that. I mean, it gets specific. Praise for the trees and the sky and the earth and the grass and the dew and on and on. Or you can have psalms of history. God did this and he did this and then he did this and then he did that for his people. Or you can have prayers. Psalm 51 pops to mind immediately. David has sinned with Bathsheba like uh, TJ was talking about here just a few weeks ago. And he's crying out to God, create in me a clean heart, O God. And begging God to remove the sin from him and for him to be right with God again. So you have psalms that are real deep prayers. And we can go on and on with that. You can have Psalms that really teach us. Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, you get 176 verses where in every single verse of that song, you think some of our five and six verse songs are long. You know, 176 verses. But in 176 different ways, he tells us the law of God is perfect and good for everything. I mean, we have all of that. And I can go on and on. We have so much more than that in the Psalms. But they are generally. The character of them praises God for everything. And so when we have songs that praise God, we sang one this morning. You know, We led off our worship this morning, praising God. That's a song. Praise Him, praise Him, etc., etc. And then you have hymns. So what is the difference between a psalm and a hymn? Maybe in some respects, nothing. A psalm is a hymn, a hymn is a psalm. But a hymn, if you go back to ancient times and look at the word and how it was used both in the Bible, maybe, and certainly outside the Bible, you get a specific song that is a song of praise to a god sometimes, but a god as a hero. And so when you would write an ode or a hymn or a song of praise to some hero, maybe some leader in a battle, some conqueror in a war, some defender, Of a city that would be him. Well, it's not hard to understand the hero of our faith is, of course, Jesus. Now, sometimes we sing about other heroes, faith of our fathers, you know. And we talk about people who really defended the faith and lived for the faith. And we want to be like them. And that's fair and that's right to do. But the greatest hero of our faith is Jesus. And I don't think it's by accident that if you pick up any psalm book, including ours, At least every other page is a hymn to Jesus, and and it's just saying over and over and over. I remember one time for one of our quarterly singings, I decided I was going to do a let's just do a singing of hymns to Jesus. And so, as I do with every singing, you know, that that we have, I literally take the songbooks, I go through every song, I get a list, and then I start culling them down to the dozen or so we're going to sing. Man, when I was doing that, I got through about two or three hundred songs, and I had about 150, 200 songs. It just over and over and over. But I thought about it, and I thought, that's only right, isn't it? I mean, if, I, if I'm if i going to sing a song, if I'm going to praise God, the first thing that's going to come to my mind is praising God for Jesus. If it weren't for Jesus, it's like Hebrews 2 is saying, I wouldn't be here. If He hadn't suffered for me, I wouldn't be here. If He hadn't and, and it'd be like anything else in life. I remember the other day, there was a Medal of Honor winner, and he was honored at a gathering. And he was honored because when he was in war, a grenade was thrown, and he threw himself on the grenade to save his several fellow soldiers. He lived through Thankful. But he just did that. And... When someone does like that, I suppose if I had been the guy two feet away or three feet away, and I'm thinking about if that grenade goes off, I probably don't see Montel or Juliet or even Marvin again. I probably don't. I probably don't see my friends and my family. I probably don't live any more life if it hadn't been for that guy. How many times do you think you think about that in life? And if someone started if someone mentioned hero, If someone mentioned what somebody did for somebody else, how many times do you think you would not think of what that guy did for you? So it's only natural, isn't it? If I start thinking in those terms, directed toward that type of thinking, I'm going to think about Jesus. Because if it's not for Jesus, I don't have anything. So I think we see the purpose, psalms and hymns. And then what are spiritual songs then? Well, they're really just what they say. They are songs that are spiritual as opposed to secular. You know, there's nothing wrong with secular music. There's nothing wrong, for example, with writing a song about how beautiful a mountain is and something on it is. Nothing wrong with that. But these are spiritual songs. And they're songs that talk about spiritual things. But I think it's more than that. I will worship in spirit and in truth. Our Philippians 3 and verse 3. I will worship with my spirit. And these are songs that really stir your spirit. And there are certain... Melodies. I don't think that that's beyond saying that God created music and God created music to move us and that certain melodies and types of songs really stir us in spirit. I would suppose there are certain songs that when we sing, you just feel something a little extra. I don't know how many times in my life I've sung How Great Thou Art, but it does that for me. You know, I mean, it just... I mean, when I sing that song, it's, it's the music, and it's the words, and it's everything in it. And I think about it. And, and, it and, and so it is a spiritual song because it stirs my spirit, and it is the language of and the ideas and thoughts and teachings of the Spirit. Now, the purpose of singing, I'm singing the praises, I'm singing the hero, you know, the odes to the hero of my faith. I'm being stirred by the music, but it is still music to God. So let me make a couple of observations in closing here. When we look in the New Testament, this is what God is teaching us. We sing to praise God. That's primarily what we do. We don't sing for, as we call it, entertainment, although we might be entertained. You know, certainly if our attention is diverted, that's a good thing, right? Right? We want it to be diverted from the world and the problems and the problems we have and our thoughts be on God. But we're singing to God. And there is a particular honor to our champion of the faith, our hero, and that is Jesus. So we look at these various songs. I want you to go with me to a passage that I think really hits at the essence of singing. Go with me to Acts 16 for a moment. I said I'd come back to this passage. In Acts 16... We certainly sing for encouragement. James 5.13 says that. If any, uh, is any among you, merry, cheerful. Well, enhance that. You know, when you're having a good moment, don't let it go. There's enough bad moments in life, so sing songs. If life is going good for you right now, if this five minutes is going good for you, take a moment and thank God. Take a moment and even praise God. Thank you, God, for this beautiful day. They're not bad days. Those poor people in Texas, Indy, you know, they're having enough bad weather. And we have bad weather. But today, one of those days, I mean, it's just gorgeous. Thank God for that. Praise God for that. And if life is good and, you know, I mean, I've had a good day or I've had a good time, sing a song. Now, that may sound strange to people. But how great you are, God. How great thou art for the good things in life you do. But sometimes life is not so great. And Acts 16 was one of those times. Let me set it up briefly, but you know the story. This girl, I think Wes, you were talking about this? Yes, Wes was talking about this. This girl is following Paul, and Paul casts the demon out. And it stirs the magistrates, the leaders of the city, up, and they wrongfully take Paul and Silas and throw them in jail. Now, the bad part about this is, for the Romans... Paul's a Roman citizen. So I was <laughs> You know, you can't do this to a Roman citizen. But they don't know that. So they're in jail. And the Bible just simply tells us in verse 25, it was midnight. And Paul and Silas, notice this, prayed and sang praises to God. Now, I've known plenty of times when someone was going through a really, really bad time. And I would say to them, pray I don't feel like praying. How about singing a song? Well, I sure don't feel like singing a song. But you know, a Christian learns as you go on. There is power in it. There's real power in praying if you learn how to pray. And there's real power in singing if you learn how to sing. And that's when you focus on God. And you're honest. And you're singing the truth how you feel, and you're praying the truth and how you feel, but you are really directing it to God. There's power. Paul and Silas understood that. You don't know what's going to happen here, and they don't know what's going to happen. I want you to remember that this is well after the time that the Apostle James was killed, so there's no guarantee that you live through something like this. God has already shown apostles will die. So you don't know what's going to happen. You're thrown into jail, and you feel exactly what any human would feel. Somebody came and arrested you for no good reason, threw you in jail, perhaps threatened your life, how would you feel? Would you be angry? Would you be all upset? Would you be screaming, this isn't fair? Would you get mad at God for letting this happen? Those are all real, legitimate feelings. Well, they're praying. And they're singing praises to God. And I want you to notice what it says here. And the prisoners heard them. I always thought that was an interesting statement. You know, because they're not there alone. They're there with a whole bunch of other people. And they're praising God. It's encouraging. And and certainly a real purpose in our singing is what it does for us. Now, we're not doing it for us not saying that. We're doing it for God. But it does something to us. It moves us in a certain way. It encourages us. It builds us up. And I stress again, if we learn how to sing. It's not just simply running through a song. It's not just simply mindlessly singing a song. I suppose I could start singing, Old MacDonald had a fire. Everybody could join right in with that. But it doesn't mean anything to you. There's there's no real meaning in that song. It's just something we go right through and sing. It's right out of our mouth. doesn't mean a thing. doesn't do anything for us. We're not talking about that. When it says they sang praises to God, they let everybody around them know. Just like the three who were thrown in the fiery furnace. Everybody around them knows they believe in this higher power. They really believe in this God. These are different people. They're not reacting like everybody reacts. They don't respond like other people respond. All the things coming out of their mouth are not what normally comes out of people's mouth in a situation like this. These people are different. And I'm sure the more they prayed and the more they sang praises to God, the stronger and stronger and stronger their faith was. Don't let it be lost on you that they're arrested that day and thrown into prison and it's midnight. God doesn't always just rush in on a white horse and spare you from some trouble in the first five minutes you're going through. This is midnight. I would suspect hours have gone by. And they're still praying and they're still singing praises. And so, you know, we sing to teach and admonish one another. It was teaching and admonishing, I'm sure, the people around them. But that's why we sing. Ephesians says that. Colossians says that. And I want to look at those passages for a second. Go with me to Ephesians 5. It's interesting how both verses, that is Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, the command to sing, the the verse we always just kind of lift out and read, the command to sing is couched in a passage that really talks about getting a point across to each other. Start with me in Ephesians 5 and verse 17. Therefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, this is talking about an ongoing all-the-time basis as a practice. You are becoming wiser. You are being filled with the teaching of the Spirit, etc. And how do you accomplish that? Well, by a number of means, but one way you accomplish it is by speaking to yourselves in Psalms, and hymns, and spiritual songs. Have you ever noticed how it seems to be easier to remember the lyrics of a song than it is just to remember written words? If I said, you know, if I were to say quote, such and such, you know, even big documents, you know, the Declaration of Independence or something like that, we memorize things like that, but we have trouble remembering them. And yet, when we sing something, it sticks. And a lot of people, you know, we sing certain songs, and you can look around the room, and people are not even looking in the book because they just know the words. They stick with you. I think God designed that. And the idea is, if you sing spiritual songs, then things of the Spirit are going to stick with you. The lyrics, the words of the song are going to stay with you. And you're going to be able to quote those things and sing those things. You're not going to need a song book to carry around with you all the time if you really learn how to sing, is the idea. Same thing in Colossians 3 that Ed read for us. And you notice, it's couching that idea of everything you do, do it in the name of the Lord and all of that kind of thing, but singing, teaching, and admonishing, warning each other through these songs we sing. Let me just conclude by saying this. A lot of times the world, when it thinks of music in the church, religious music, etc., it simply thinks of it like religious entertainment. I like to go to such and such church. Why? Because they have a great choir and I like listening to it. It's entertainment. It is something that people think in terms of like attending a concert or whatever it might be. A lot of people feel that way. I'm not saying everybody does, but a lot of people do. Consider again the definitions of entertainment. Maintenance, the idea of maintaining something, entertaining an idea, keeping it in your head. That's what happens when Christians gather together and sing. And yeah, there is the idea of I enjoy it, there's the idea of it's good, you know, good music, I appreciate it, I enjoy singing and all of that, but that's not the purpose we understand that. This is something we're doing for God primarily. It has a secondary benefit of doing something for me and strengthening my faith. So our singing in answer to the question and the comment, no. It is not just for entertainment. It is much, much more than that. If you're here tonight and you're not a child of God, you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You want to give your life to Him and live your life for Him. You listen to those verses like we read tonight, and you know He's done so much for you. But tonight you'll confess your belief in Him, repent, be baptized for forgiveness of your sins. You will be a child of God. And maybe it is that you're here tonight, and you know, you're looking at your life, and you're saying, I really need to make a new start. I need to recommit, rededicate, are all the terms people use. That's certainly right to do. And we'd love to pray together with you. Won't you please come me? While we stand